Hey, thanks for joining us here today at Victory Church, where we invite people to belong before they believe. If you want to know more about who we are and what we do, or if any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us in giving to this ministry, we invite you to do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Now, let's check out this week's message from our lead pastor, John Chesty. If you have your Bibles, you can begin to flip over to a passage I'll take you to in a few moments in Jeremiah chapter 8. Um, before I preach, let me let you know, you know, we've been in this season called Who Am I? And in this season, we talked about we're not orphans, we're children of God, and we, we learned a lot through this season. I'm beginning to sense a new season. That's why you don't see the graphic behind me for Who Am I? If you're new to Victory Church, we don't do series, not that we have anything against sermon series. Basically, we, we like to say, what is the Lord saying to this body, to this house? And sometimes it takes more than four weeks to do it. Um, they, they say the average churchgoer comes to church once every four weeks. Um, not us, Victory Church, we're way different than that. But of course, right? Um, but what we wanna say is, God, what are you saying to us in this season? And the thing about seasons is you don't know exactly when they're gonna start or exactly when they're gonna end. I mean, we live in Oklahoma. We know that it might be snowing in October and sweating in December. You know, you got your, air con- your heater on in the morning and your air conditioner on in the afternoon. So seasons kind of change slowly. And so we believe that God does this in the church too, that he wants to speak to us in seasons. And so we sense, the leadership senses kind of an ending of the who am I season. And we're praying and asking God, what is the next season? And God kind of shows it to me, kind of like Pastor Lee talked about last week in his sermon, the Polaroid picture, you know, kind of comes slowly as you, as you fan it. So I believe that around January, we'll launch into a new season. So the Lord's gonna be speaking to us in, in, in kind of an in-between here, just through some one-off sermons. So this passage, this sermon that I wanna to preach to you today was kind of birthed a couple of weeks ago when I was in the nation of Jordan. And we were going through this particular territory in the nation of Jordan, a territory where a lot of really cool things happened in the Bible. It's east of the Jordan River. It's where um, it, the Israelites defeated the, the Amorites, when they, the king of Sihon, the king of Og. You remember this? He drove them out. Uh, we were in the region uh, of this, this region uh, where Elijah was born, Tishbe. I, I got to go where, t- where Elijah was born. That was pretty special. I went to the place where um, Jacob wrestled with the angel that happened in this region. Several things happened in, in this region of scripture. It's where, it's where Jacob crossed the Jabbok River and sent his herds out. It's where he met Esau. So a lot of things happened in this region. And this region is, a, is something that you, if you've been in the church, you might recognize the name of it. It's, it's a region called Gilead. Gilead is the region that three of the 12 tribes of Israel settled in. Nine of the tribes went over into the promised land, crossed the Jordan. Three of them, Gad, uh, Manasseh, and Reuben, those three tribes stayed in Gilead and they settled there. So we're driving through this region and God brings this thing back to my remembrance of something that I wanna preach to you about today, um, dealing with Gilead. And perhaps if you've been around church at all, you may have heard this before, but you may have never heard a sermon on it. I don't know that I've ever heard a sermon specifically on this, And so with that being said, I want to take you to Jeremiah chapter 8. Jeremiah chapter 8, I'm going to read verses 18 through 22. It says, you who are my comforter in sorrow, my heart is faint within me. Now, let me pause for just a quick second. This is the prophet Jeremiah, and this is a prophetic word that he he is saying. Verse 19 says, listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? 
Why have, they, why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign gods? The harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed. And I mourn and horror grips me. Now, verse 22 is where we're gonna really unpack today. Verse 22 says, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? So I wanna talk to you about this topic today, the balm of Gilead. Before I pray, how many of you have ever heard that referenced called the balm of Gilead? Awesome, this is gonna be fun, not very many people. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word that's so rich and deep. Um, So Father, may you open our eyes and give us a glimpse into the word of God today and stretch us, stretch our minds to perceive and to see with our spiritual eyes what you may be saying to us through the word today. We open up for that in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, So how many of you grew up in a home or maybe you're currently living in a home that's obsessed with home remedies? Anybody? Any any home remedies? You grew up in a home, Edmund Campus, anybody grew up in a home with a a bunch of home remedies? Uh, Maybe maybe for you it was... um, like for some of you, you grew up in a home where Vicks Vapor Rub was the was the it would fix anything. You just put a little Vicks on it. Uh, Michelle reminded me that there, there's this thing called uh, methylatum. Y'all remember methylatum? You rub it under your put it under your nose and you like smell it for 12 days after. It's this cure all. Um, how many of you are essential oils? Essential oils is going to fix everything. It's going to fix the whole planet. Uh, whatever whatever your home remedy is, my in my house, uh, my mom's here, so I got to be careful. Um, my house, it was like, our house was covered with aloe vera plants. They were just everywhere. You, you, you know, aloe vera plants. So, sometimes I think that she secretly, not, not that she ever would admit this. She was like, I hope somebody gets hurt today so I can use one of my aloe vera plants. <laughs> she would never, never would she do that. So for my mom, it was, it was aloe vera and water. You're like, water? Yeah, water. It doesn't matter what's wrong with you. My mom will like, be sure you drink lots of water, you know? You get a cough, you drink lots of water. There's COVID, drink lots of water. Water's the cure-all for COVID, you know? You break your left leg, be sure and drink lots of water. So, so this balm of Gilead um, in that day, it really was kind of a cream, like, like, a, like a balm. Um, and it, it wasn't like a folk's tale. It truly was medicine to them. In fact, it grew in this region. That's why it's called the balm of Gilead. And it would grow. They would harvest it from the balsam tree. And so physicians would actually, historians say that many physicians would actually move to Gilead because this balm of Gilead was such a big part of their treatment for the sick that they wanted to be close enough to these trees to harvest it and make it for their, for their patients. And it really was this perceived as this cure-all. It was very expensive. It was a luxury item. Um, It was something that they would take both internally and externally. So they would eat it and they believed that it would cure uh, internal issues. Uh, They believed that it would, if you had a cough or something, you would, you would eat, eat the balm. They would put it in, in olive oil and you could drink that or several different ways that it was administered. But they also would apply it to outside wounds, like bruises and cuts. They would even apply it to broken bones. They believed that this, that this balm of Gilead truly was kind of a supernatural healing thing that they, that they, would, that they would take. It, they used it for inflammation. Uh, they used it for sunburns. 
They used it for headaches. Uh, they used it for arthritis. Some of you are like, where can I get some of this stuff like this? Where can I get some of this balm of Gilead? And this is not an infomercial. I'm not starting a business selling the balm of Gilead and I'm not trying to replace your essential oils. I'm, this is not a, a campaign to, to tell you that the balm of Gilead is what you need to go to. Although there's a website that's gonna pop up. You can go to john.balmofgilead.com and purchase. Um, it's really not that. I, I'm trying to show you what, what this would have meant uh, in, in their day. Let me show you in scripture. Uh, when, when Joseph, his brothers throw him in the pit, they're in Dothan on, on the Israel side. And we know this kind of story well, we've heard this story. Let me show you where, where the balm of Gilead comes about out even in the story. In Genesis 37, 25, it says, as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. And their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh. And they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. So they were, this was a major trade route. If you go to Israel today, you'll learn about all the ancient trade routes. That, so they would have came down the King's Highway. They would have crossed the Jordan. They would have gone over into the Jezreel Valley. They would have gone to Dothan. They, but they were on their way to the coastal highway along the Mediterranean Sea. And they would take the coastal highway all the way down to Egypt. And this was a major trading route. And so they're saying that we had thrown Joseph in this pit. And we looked up and here come the traders with their camels. And they're coming from Gilead. Okay, and they're coming across the Jordan River. And I'm showing you all this. I, in fact, we have a map. I wanna show them this map. So this map is gonna come up behind me. I wanna show you this region physically so you can see it. So they're gonna put a circle, go ahead and put a circle around Gilead. So Gilead is right here, okay? So you see the Dead Sea down here and the, and the, uh, the Tiberias Sea or the Sea of Galilee up here. So you see this area of Gilead that they would have been coming from Gilead. They would have crossed the Jordan River. I'm going too deep. I'm, it's not my sermon today. I, I, I can go geographical too quick. So I want you to understand this region of Gilead and that there was something really special about Gilead, that these balsam trees grew there and it became this thing that became very healing. And again, this is not a sermon about an alternate, alternative to your essential oils or your home remedies. Jeremiah is trying to get a message through, okay? So I've, what I've come to realize is these few verses that I've read to you, verses 18 through 22, are so rich and so beautiful and have this dual symbolism going on that I wanna show you that is so rich that 2,600 years later, the prophet Jeremiah is still screaming through the pages to us. And he's trying to illustrate something to us. He's trying to get this message through. Uh, how many of you remember uh, back in the day before cell phones, uh, I would be out with my friends and I needed to call my parents and update them for what I was, where I was at and what I was doing because they, you know, they couldn't get a hold of me. And so I didn't have a quarter, but there were pay phones everywhere. How many of y'all remember this little thing called 1-800-COLLECT? Y'all remember 1-800-COLLECT? Some of y'all don't know nothing about no 1-800-COLLECT. I couldn't text my mama and say, this is where I'm at. I had to figure out how to do it. But the problem was I was a poor high school kid. I didn't have a quarter. So if you were really smart, you could use 1-800-COLLECT because what happens is they pick up the phone and when you call, it says, state your name. And you say, John. And then when my mom picks up the phone, it says, will you receive a collect call from John? And so what I would do is I would call my mom's number. And when it said, please state your name after the tone, I would say, I'm staying the night at Jason's house, mom. Bye, I love you. And so my mom would pick up the phone and they would say, will you receive a collect call from, I'm staying the night at Jason's house, mom, love you. So I was trying to get a message through to my mom. And this is Jeremiah. Jeremiah is trying to get a message through 
not just to the people of Israel, but, but, but to us. So with desperation, Jeremiah is doing two things. He is giving a prophetic word to the nation of Israel about their coming exile. That the Babylonians are gonna come and they're gonna be exiled. They're gonna be taken from their homeland, okay? But simultaneously, and we know this in the text, but simultaneously what I wanna point out today is it's not just a prophetic word about coming doom. Laced in this word is a, is a messianic prophecy about a coming Messiah that will be the balm of Gilead, that will become the healer to every ailment, both internally and externally, that you could ever have. It was, it was a prophecy about a coming disaster and simultaneously a, a, a prophecy about a coming healer, okay? And I wanna, I wanna show you this um, today and, and unpack this for you. So I won't go into deep, I won't go in deep here because I'll lose everybody and, and it's not the main focal point of the message, but we do have to understand the context because it's a prophetic word about a coming exile. It has not happened yet. Israel will be exiled from Israel, the Israelites will be exiled from Israel, the Jews, for 70 years. Okay, the Babylonians will come and they will conquer them. And Jeremiah um, began his ministry around 626 BC. Okay, so the, about the fifth century BC. And what's happening is, is we, we know that because in, in, in Jeremiah 1, he says, he's writing and he says, in the 13th year of the reign of Josiah. So basically what he was doing is he was taking a calendar stamp date and stamping the top of his parchment saying, this is when this was taking place. Because we know that that's about when he was the king. And he continued to preach this after the downfall of Jerusalem in 586 BC. So he is preaching this. He's saying, look, there's a coming disaster but it, but it wasn't this hellfire and brimstone. It was, a, it was a warning because of the consequences of sin. Israel, you know, they, they had idols. They didn't tear down the high places. Uh, glazing over. I'm gonna speed this part up, okay? So, so what happened is they said, there's, there's coming a day that you will come back to your homeland. And what I want you to know is there's a balm in Gilead that will heal you when you come back. All the wounds, all the heartache, all the, all the hardship, of being exiled, there is a healing balm that I'm going to send to you. So what I wanna do, let me get to the meat of what I wanna to talk to you about today. I wanna to talk to you about three things that I believe are spoken to this, through this passage to us. Imagine this, this Jeremiah was written about 2,600 years ago, 2,600 years ago, this was penned. And Jeremiah is speaking through the centuries to us today at Victory Church in 2021. And I wanna show you a few of the things that I believe he's saying to us today. So the first thing I want you to do is go back to that passage, Jeremiah chapter eight, verse 19. Let me read verse 19 for you. Verse 19 says, listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? And then the, the Lord kind of presents this, this argument. He's saying, why have they aroused my anger with their images, with their worthless foreign idols? Now, let me, let me read this to you in the King James Version, not to confuse you, but to show you one other thing that, that it says. It says, why have they provoked me to anger with their graven images, one, and their strange vanities, two. So God says, they have provoked me to anger. Now, let me tell you, this is not a hellfire and brimstone sermon. We are under the new covenant and Jesus took all the anger and all the pain for us. So, but in the Old Testament, it says that he, they provoked my anger because they had carved idols and strange vanities, these two things. 
So I got three points for you today, but my first, my first two, I wanna unpack those two things. The first one is the, is the carved images, and the second thing is the strange vanity. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, write this down. Let's talk about the graven images. Graven images. Number one, do not make your gifts into gods. Now, let me explain to you what I'm trying to say here. So back in this day, the reason he's addressing this is because they have gotten really good at carving. <laughs> and you, you, almost every ancient ruin you go to in Israel or the surrounding nations or really anywhere in the whole world, this was a big part of the culture. They would carve things. And sometimes they were to worship and sometimes they were just carvings. If you go to Petra, to this day, the Nabataeans around the same time period had figured out how to carve uh, cities into the rock. I mean, it's, 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 un, it's unbelievable to stand at Petra and see these images that they have carved over 2,000 years ago that are still impeccable because they've gotten really good at a craft. And we get good at crafts. And so what they had done is they had gotten so good at crafting things that they would stand back and say, wow, that's amazing. And before you know it, they started bowing down and worshiping the things that they had carved. Isn't that, isn't that silly? So they had turned their gift into a God. And God had warned them of this before they ever got to the promised land. Let me show you this back in Deuteronomy 6. It says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large flourishing cities. Watch these things. That you did not build, you did not build these cities, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. And when you eat and are satisfied, he's saying, you're gonna receive a lot of gifts from me. And when you've eaten and you are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord. He's saying, you're gonna get so many gifts that you're gonna become tempted to forget the God who gave you the gifts and you'll begin to worship the gifts instead of the God who brought the gifts to you. And what happened over the years and over the decades is they fell into the very trap that God warned them not to do. In Exodus chapter 20, he warned them again in the 10 commandments before they ever, ever got to the promised land. Verse two says, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Now watch the first, two, ten, the first two of the 10 commandments. Number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Number two, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven, above, or earth, beneath, or waters below. You shall not bow down to them and worship them. Now let me point out something on this. He says, you must not, number two, you must not create an image of yourself that you would then go and bow down to. Now think about that in our modern day world. Have you ever heard somebody say, you need to build your brand? You need to build a brand for yourself. You need to start, get social media, you need to wear the right clothes, you need to look the right part, you need to have the right job, you need to have the right wife, you need to have the right car. And what we do unknowingly is if we're not careful, we will create an image. This, 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 this word says, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything. So if we're not careful, we will take gifts that God has given us and we will begin to worship the gift. This, this happens in church a lot and this is why a lot of pastors fall because there's, there's talented preachers who are really good with words and before, before long you get a church that worships the gift instead of the God who gave him the gift, right? So, so this is, the, but this is applicable to all of us. Many of you are great business leaders 
Many, many of you are teachers. Many of you are nurses or doctors, and you have amazing gifts that God has given you. Some of you are crafted with your hands. You can build anything or fix anything. Some of you can figure out any problem in your head. Some of you are plumbers or, or contractors or whatever it is that the gift God has given you. If we're not careful, we can begin to elevate the gift over our God. So this word image, he says, don't make for, don't make for yourself an image. This word image in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word temuna, and it means likeness, phantom, embodiment, or manifestation. So let me summarize this point. I, I, I think God is saying to us that do not create anything in your life that tries to take the place of God in your life. Okay? And anything that you become really good at, if we're not careful, could actually begin to take the place of God. If you're, if you're, if you're a great businessman and you've earned a lot of wealth and you, you have a lot of money in the bank, if you're not careful, your gift that created this wealth, you'll begin to worship the wealth. Not realizing that God's the one who gave you that wealth. It wasn't yours. So to make that applicable to whatever it looks like in your life, and this is part of what God is, is trying to tell us. Let me show you this really cool verse. I've preached on this a couple of times. I love this passage. You should go read this uh, in several translations. Um, the Bible's so cool at how it reads us because you, you don't read the Bible, the Bible reads you. And so Isaiah chapter 44, write this down, read it later. I'm gonna read it in the message. Isaiah 44, 13 through 20. Okay, watch this. It says, the woodworker draws up plans for his no God, traces it on a block of wood, he shapes it with a chisel and planes into a human shape, a beautiful woman, a handsome man, ready to be placed in a chapel. He first cuts down a cedar or maybe picks out a pine or an oak and lets it grow strong in the forest, nourished by the rain. Think about that. God made that tree grow. He didn't make that tree grow. God made that tree grow. And he used that tree to craft something with his skill. Then it came to serve a double purpose. Part he uses as firewood for keeping himself warm and baking bread. For the other part, he makes a God that he worships. And he carves it into a God shape and prays before it. With half, he makes a fire to stay warm and barbecue his supper. And he eats his fill and sits back satisfied with his stomach full and his feet warmed by the fire. Ah, oh, this is the life. And he still has half left for a God made by his personal design, a handy, convenient, no God to worship whenever so inclined. Whenever the need strikes him, he prays to it. Save me, you are my God. Pretty stupid, wouldn't you say? Don't they have eyes in their heads? Are their brains working at all? Doesn't it occur to them to say half of this tree I used for firewood, I baked bread, roasted meat, enjoyed a good meal, and now I've used the rest to make an abominable no God. And here I am praying to a stick of wood. This, is lover, this lover of emptiness is, of nothing is so out of touch with reality, so far gone that he can't even look at what he's doing, can't even look at this, the no God stick of wood in his hand and say, this is crazy. Found himself praying to a stick of wood, something that God gave him, that then because of his skill, he took a God-given gift and carved it into something beautiful. And this is a picture of what, if we're not careful, what we can do with the, the wood, the talents, the gifts, the resources that God gives us. And what the Bible tells us, what the book of Isaiah tells us is that's, I'm, you know, the Bible says it, it's stupid. Stupid. Doesn't even make sense. But this is, this is a warning for us 
2,000 years later. So I simply want to ask you, what are you warming yourself by? What fire have you warmed yourself by? What I mean by that is where have you found your validity? If you were stripped of everything today, if you lost your title at work, you lost your bank accounts, you lost all that stuff, would you still be okay? Or have we warmed ourselves by these fires so much so that without knowing it, we've crafted gods. We've crafted things that we believe in the economy more than we believe in our God. Or we believe in the White House, the Oval Office, more than we believe in the God. So, so we, we just have to be careful. I'm not gonna linger here because it's super quiet. Let's just keep moving, all right? All right. Number two, doesn't get much better, but point three is way better, I promise. So let's talk about strange vanities. So God, God deciphers these two things. One is graven idols, and the second one in, in King James um, says, says this, this picture of a strange vanity. So number two, if you're taking notes, do not look for relief in the wrong places. Okay, so when he says strange vanities, this word strange, if you go and look at it, if you look it up, it means foreign. So the balm of Gilead, think about this picture happening in this text. The balm of Gilead grows in Gilead. So he's saying, don't look at foreign countries to try to obtain what I have already given you in Gilead. That's a strange, that's a foreign vanity. It's something that's, that's outside the realm of the kingdom of God. This word vanities in the Hebrew is the Hebrew word chebel, and it means vapor, breath, emptiness. So he's, giving, he's even giving you a picture. He's saying, hey, it's foreign, and if you chase after it, it's empty. It's but a vapor. You're gonna chase after that satisfaction. You're gonna chase after that feeling of a euphoria. You're gonna chase after the bedroom. You're gonna chase after the bottle. You're gonna chase after a career. You're gonna chase after money. You're gonna chase after whatever it is that you feel compelled to chase after. And what Jeremiah is screaming to us 2,600 years later is the balm, the relief that you so desire is already here. Is there no balm in Gilead? It's, it's right here in front of you. So our temptation is to chase after those things. I think it's interesting that the thing that we stand in front of to get ready to go to work and to get ready to go to church, the thing with the mirror and the sink in front of it, what's it called? It's called a vanity. Isn't that interesting? No, I'm not a component. I'm not telling you to go home and, and tear down your vanities today. But I do think it's interesting that it's called a vanity because what do you do? You stand in front of it, you look at yourself, and you primp yourself. When you stand in front of the vanity, the only thing that matters is you. And what Jeremiah is saying is don't pursue these strange vanities that the world has. That's why Jesus says, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world. So we have to have this ability to, to go out into a foreign land. Because by the way, this isn't home. Heaven is home. We are foreigners in this land. This is not home. We are foreigners here. So he's saying, don't chase after foreign vanities because your true satisfaction is, is somewhere else. Let me show you one place in scripture where, where they got into this predicament in the first place. Because this is what God told them before they went to the promised land. Deuteronomy 7, 1, it says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drive out before you many nations, the Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, the Jebusites, the, the Cellulites, like all the ites, you know. <laughs> Chase the Cellulites out. It says, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, 
Watch, then you must destroy them all. Make no treaty with them and show them no mercy. Watch verse three. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons for they, will, uh, for they turn your children away from following me to serve other gods and the, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly be destroyed. Guess what they did? They started intermarrying. They started looking at other gods. Solomon did this. He had all these wives and he actually built a place for them right next to, to Jerusalem for all of his wives and all their gods. And before you knew it, he was worshiping their gods too. So he's saying, be careful about these strange, strange vanities. Um, uh, Jeremiah, let me give, show you one more. Jeremiah 46, 11, Jeremiah mentions this one more time later in verse 11. He says, go up to Gilead and get balm, virgin daughter Egypt, but you, watch this, but you try many medicines in vain and there is no healing for you. So you're gonna, you're gonna be tempted as believers, you're gonna be tempted to look everywhere else and think, wow, I need that. They look happy, they look satisfied. That must be the golden ticket, right? And what the Lord is saying to us is, hey, the very thing you seek, it's here. There is balm in Gilead. You don't need to leave Gilead to find the acceptance, to find the love, to find the satisfaction, to find the favor, to find the provision. God wants to do all that for you right here, all right? Okay, they've tried to clap a few times. Everybody just give the Lord a hand clap real quick. So we will be tempted to chase the bottle, the pill, the bedroom, the friendship, the job, the bank account, fill in the blank. We will be tempted to, fit, to chase after a foreign vanity and the promise is laced in this passage saying there's no need, there, is there no bomb in Gilead? So let's, let's pull out the, the, the last point. Let's go back to verse 19. I've got a couple more things I wanna show you and then we'll be done. Verse 19 says, listen to the cry of my people from a land far away. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king no longer there? So he's given this prophetic word and they're in, they're in exile and they're basically saying, we wanna come back home. Is the king there? Are we welcomed back? Can, can we come back home? Is, is the king there? Is the Lord in Zion or isn't he? And then verse 20 says, the harvest is past, the summer has ended, and we are not saved. Since my people are crushed, I am crushed, and I mourn and horror grips me. Now what's happening here is, is painting the picture of the agony of what they're having. So he says, the harvest has ended. We, we missed the harvest. Let me look at it again. It says, the harvest is past, and the summer has ended. The harvest is refer, referring to the cereal harvest. Okay, not cinnamon toast crunch. That's a different cereal. I mean cereal from an agricultural term. It's barley, it's wheat, it's all of those grains that they would grow. It's saying that harvest is past. We missed it. We missed it. But later on in that day was the summer harvest. Late summer harvest was the harvest of the grapevine or any vine for that matter or fruit of the tree. So if you missed, the, in those days, if you missed the first harvest, you still had hope because you could obtain the second harvest and still survive the winter. And what Jeremiah is saying is our, paint, our picture is so hopeless that we missed the first harvest and we missed the last harvest. And I don't know if we're gonna be able to make it through winter. This is the agony that he's hearing, it, that, he, that he, the, the, the mourning, the crying prophet is, is feeling for his people. And I don't know, when I got to this point of the, of, the path of, the, of the scripture, when I was studying, I really felt impressed 
to just kind of pause and say, maybe for some of you, you feel that way. You feel like you've missed both harvests. <laughs> you know, maybe you, you, you're at an age where you're like, man, by this age, I thought that I would have had two harvests. I thought my retirement would be better. I thought my marriage would be better. I thought my predicament would be better. Or maybe you're young, but you've just been walking through a season for so long that you're just like, man, I feel like I've missed something here. I feel like I've missed this. But the very next verse that he says, he's crying in agony. He feels defeated. And then the very next verse, in verse 22, he, I, I can see Jeremiah writing this, pinning this, and slamming his fist on the counter, saying, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then are there, is there no healing for the wounds of my people? He, it's, it's, it's a cry of agony, but it's also filled with hope. It's, it's filled with this idea that the, the balm remains, the healing remains. This is not a doomsday prophecy. This is a messianic prophecy. This is a prophecy of, of yes, of this event that's gonna take place to the Israelites, but it's also this hope-filled messianic prophecy that there is coming a day when I will send my son from heaven and he will become the healer. He will pay the price on a cross and he will become the balm of Gilead. And he's saying, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no healing in Christ? Is there no satisfaction in just being a son? Can't I find my validity through Christ? Can't I find my healing? Can I find mental healing through Christ? Can I find emotional healing through Christ? Can I find physical healing through Christ? Can I find spiritual healing through Christ? And it's saying, when you come back to Gilead, when you come back home where the healer is, the balm is there. The trees still grow. The balsam tree is still alive and well in Gilead. And when we make the, we make the choice to remove our minds from the strange vanities of this world and come back home to the Father, I believe that that's where we receive whatever it is that we've been searching for in the world. Because we, we, we look to the world, yeah, go ahead. We look to the world for whatever it is in our human weak selves. We look to social media for gratification. You know, we look to our, our jobs for validation and we want the right title because we need to be validated through our title at work and we need to have a certain lifestyle and a certain, and I'm not against any of those things. I, I, please don't hear me. But when we're finding our validation through those things and, and I just believe that the Lord is saying to all of us, it doesn't matter what your ailment is. God's like, I've got that. If you'll just come home, if you'll just come back home. He wants to heal us through this balm from the inside. Remember this balm, you could, you could drink it and it would heal you from the inside out. But you could also apply it to, to wounds, to brokenness, to bruises and cuts and broken bones. And I believe broken hearts and mistakes that we've made and things from our past that, that seem to haunt us. So my third and final point is this. There is a healer in your homeland. There is a healer, but it's, it's not out where you're seeking it. It's back, it's back home. It's at the cross. You know that you could actually miss the harvest of the balsam tree. The balsam tree is where they would get this, extract this, this, this ointment. And they would make it in lots of different ways and I won't bore you with that. 
But there was, there was actually a time in a season where you could miss it because it, it, it produces these leaves and produces this fruit at certain times and they would, they would harvest it and, and create this. So you could actually miss the harvest. You could miss your opportunity to, to get the healing balm. And I'm thankful for the balsam tree and I saw one in person and I think it's pretty, pretty special. But I'm, I'm so thankful that there's another tree, a tree that blooms all the time. It was, it was the tree that our Savior was nailed to. It was the cross. And the Bible says that, that they pierced Jesus' side. And I had never thought about this before until I wrote the sermon. And they pierced his side and blood and water flowed from his side. I am here to tell you that that is the balm of Gilead. Amen. Amen. The blood and water that poured out of his side, that, that poured out of that tree, poured out of that tree to heal a broken and a wounded generation, us, us. But, but the thing about a balm is if I came to you and I said, hey, I got this balm, I saw that you got a cut on your leg and this will heal your, your leg. And you took it and you put it up in your medicine cabinet and you never applied it. The balm of Gilead must be applied. The, the Lord doesn't force himself upon us. It's something that we seek after, that we say, Lord, I, I need your healing and I'm gonna come back home where, where it grows and I'm gonna apply it to my life. I'm gonna apply this to my life. And I believe that in these places, he will heal us. I, I tried to paint these pictures of, of the symbolisms here. Um, they, they believed that the balsam tree healed their lungs. They would ingest it for coughing. And you think about the balsam tree healing the inside of the lungs whereas the cross comes to, to breathe life into our spirit man, to come on the inside and to do something spectacular. The balsam tree would heal uh, bruises and cuts and wounds and arthritis, stiffness. And, and the cross comes to, to heal all of those things, our shame from those wounds and those cuts. Uh, it comes to heal those things too. The balsam tree would relieve burns. It was a burn reliever. And if you've lived long in life, this world will burn you. And so this balsam, this, this, this balm of Christ comes to, 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 to touch us there. And maybe, maybe the most beautiful symbolism here is, I didn't cover this one earlier, but the, the, balm, the balm of Gilead had a very beautiful aroma. In fact, when they would walk through the trees at harvest time, they could actually smell the balm of Gilead. It wasn't just something that they would use for healing, it actually was such a refreshing smell. It was like, a, it was like the thing you put in your car, it's your car scent. And they loved the scent of the balm of Gilead. And this is what Christ brings to us. He brings us, yes, he brings us healing. He brings us restoration. He brings us all these things. But there's also a really sweet smell to it. It's, in, it's inviting. Like you want to be in its presence because it's just a peaceful aroma to us. And so... I wanna ask you a question here, and at Edmund, those of you watching online, I just wanna ask you where you're weary at, you know? Just a couple of prompting questions, and, and we're gonna go back into just a moment of worship. We have time, there's no need to panic. We marginalize, we carved out some time to, to go back into a little bit of worship. Because I wanna give some time for this balm to be applied, um, and give you time to, to really rest in this moment. So I wanna ask you, are you weary? Do you feel broken? Um, do you feel sick? 
Uh, are you anxious? You can't sleep at night because you have so much anxiety. Are you fearful? You know, the, the bomb, there's a cool thing about any kind of bomb, any kind of ointment. If I told you about Neosporin, right? Well, the cool thing about the balm of Gilead is it was this healing thing that went back into the past. So a wound or a bruise or a cut that happened in the past, it was created to heal the past. But then the balm of Gilead would also deal with the present. If you had arthritis or a headache, it could heal you in the moment. So it would reach into your past and it would also meet you in your present. But what's cool about the balm of Gilead is they would apply it for the future too. It was good for sun, sunburns preventative medicine. Isn't that a cool picture of Jesus? That Jesus comes to, to heal us of our past brokenness. He comes to meet us where we are in our anxiousness and in our worry. And then he looks into the future and says, you don't need to worry about that. You don't need to worry about that fear. He, he, he's the God who goes behind us. He's the God that stands beside us. And he's the God that goes before us. This is the balm of Gilead. And the balm of Gilead is what our nation needs. <laughs> it's what our society needs. It's what every human being on planet earth needs. It's the only thing that can heal us. So if you bow your heads and close your eyes, Edmund and OKC both, if you're here today and you'd say, John, there's, there's, there's an element of my life, whether it's mental, emotional, physical, spiritual, where I need, I need something that will bring soothing I need something that will bring healing. I need something that will soothe. I need something that will relieve pain. I need something that will give me mobility again. I feel paralyzed. The arthritis, the arthritis has set into my life and I feel paralyzed. I can't move. I don't know what, what ailment you have, but I just want you to acknowledge that I'm talking to you at Open and OKC by just shooting your hand up and say, that's me. Shoot him up real high. Let me see you. Yeah, all over the room. Praise God. Awesome. Okay, you can put your hand down. Will you stand to your feet with me? So what I want to do for just a, a few minutes is I want to, I want to, um, we're going to go back into worship, but I, I want to pray. What I don't want to do is just do this. All right, Lord, help them. Amen. And we leave. And you're walking out like, okay, I don't really know what I'm supposed to do with that. I want to give a moment for this balm to be applied. And what I want, want you to know is I don't really have, like if I had a cream that I could just be like, all right, line up. And you just come by and I slap you across the face with it. And you, you get some too, you know, balm of Gilead. <laughs> I don't have that cream. But what I do know is that when we come back home, we go back to Gilead and say, Lord, I have been a foreigner in a strange land, seeking things, that worrying about things, being anxious about things, and I just wanna come home and will you satisfy me? Will you bring the healing and, and satis satisfaction that I need? Um, I, wanna, I wanna give you space for that and I wanna pray for you. I want, I want it to be a meaningful moment, not this thing where you raise your hand and you just leave, okay? So Edmund Campus, OKC Campus, um, I want you to, if you raised your hand or maybe you didn't raise your hand but you wanna respond to this, I just want you to come down front and know that this is a safe place. Nothing weird is gonna happen down here. We're just gonna pray for you. So just leave your seat and just start heading down here. You won't be the only one. Your action will motivate others' reaction, all right? So just come down here. This is a good, this is a healthy thing. Just, just begin to respond now. Pastor Cameron, just take the stage at Edmond and you, you, can, you can take over from here, Pastor Cameron, and lead the way that you feel like the Lord's leading you to do so. 
Come in, come in real close. I won't spit on you. I might, but. I really feel like there's more people that should be coming down here and you're not. So if you're, if you're something and tugging in you, what I want you to know is this, this does not mean that they've done something wrong. In fact, it's way the opposite. Most of these people have been wronged. There's some pain, there's some wound, or there's some concern about something that's coming tomorrow. So your invitation to come down here is not filled with shame, it's filled with freedom. So if, if I'm talking to you, you just need to leave your seat and come down here. Like, don't, don't wait any longer, just come down here, all right? So we're gonna go back into worship for just a moment. Um, and I'm gonna come down and I'm gonna invite the prayer team and some of the staff to just kind of move about, don't be shy. Come and pray for people, lay hands on people. If you feel like you get a word for somebody, speak life into them, speak, declare things over them. Um, so what I wanna do is go back into worship for just a moment. So we just put your hands in a, in a posture of receiving. And Lord, what we're saying by being down here is that we wanted to put action with our faith. And by stepping out of our aisle and walking down here, yes, we'd already done that in our heart, but God, we wanted you to see our action, our response to this word. And God, what we are saying by standing down front is there is something that we need pain relief from. And we've tried other stuff. We've tried what the world has to offer. We've gone into foreign lands and, and tasted but what we're saying, God, and what we now understand is the thing that we sought after was right in front of us, at home, in your presence. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. So God, we ask that you would alleviate stress in this moment. That you would give us your yoke, which is easy and light. That anxiety, depression, stress would melt before you that when we stand in the presence of our God, nothing can stand without bowing. So we say that cancer must bow, that fear must bow, anxiety must bow, uh, 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 infertility must bow, shame must bow, sin must bow. So for those of us that need forgiveness, God, we ask forgiveness and that's part of this balm. This balm will come and heal with no condemnation. You will bring healing. For those of us who have been wounded by other people, by other churches, I, I sense infidelity is present. God, you can heal that too. Whatever the situation is, God, that you can bring healing and restoration through your balm. And so for the next few moments, God, we pour out our hearts and we reach up in the medicine cabinet and we grab it and we say, Lord, apply it, put it on. We receive what you have to give today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you for joining us here today for this week's message. And here at Victory Church, we are called to equip people to live in His presence, move beyond ourselves, and be transformed. And this can only happen through your radical generosity, your serving, and your prayers. If this message or any of our messages have impacted your life and you would like to partner with us by giving into this ministry, you can do so by visiting our website at victory.church. Thank you again for joining us and have a great day.